We're going to dig into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the last section of chapter 5 today. We'll wrap up 1 Thessalonians, and in two weeks we'll begin our study in Revelation. So I encourage you to begin reading the book of Revelation, and uh, we'll jump in there soon. It's going to be a lot of fun. Today I want to wrap up this section of 1 Thessalonians. Remember last week we began the last three sets of commands in 1 Thessalonians. And today we deal with a third set of commands. And those commands here in this third group of commands deal with the topic of prophecy. Before we read this passage, I just want to tell you, I understand that this is a challenging subject and that many of you had experiences um, dealing with things where someone said God told them to tell you something or God told you to tell somebody something in in this idea of some prophetic message from the Lord, either through you or for you, or you heard somebody else experience this. And I recognize this is a challenging subject, and I'm going to cover a lot of territory. And I'm trying to give you forewarning so that you can be prepared to listen really closely, to take some notes, grab a pen and paper, Write down references and really pay close attention to what this passage is encouraging us to do in response to God's directives. And so I'm just trying to prepare you because we're going to jump in really fast and go at a pace that is really unfair. And so I'm trying to help you along here, all right? So let's read our passage starting in verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold to the good. Abstain from every kind of evil. May God, the God of peace himself, sanctify you completely. Keeping you perfectly or completely, your spirit, your soul, your body, without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who called you, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for, me, for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I command you in the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers. All right, move back up to verse 19. Verses 19 through 22 is a series of five exhortations all related to the subject of prophecy. The first two statements, don't quench the spirit and don't despise the prophecies, are related commands, very similar commands. You think about the church at Thessalonica, there's one significant difference we've got to pay attention to uh, between the church at Thessalonica and our church. When Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians, the only thing the Thessalonians had that they called Scripture at that point was the Old Testament. What we have in our hands is the completed New and Old Testament. So we have the entire Bible at our disposal as a local church, and the Thessalonians did not have that. We need to pay attention to that significant difference. Because here we are in our day and time and we have the entire scripture that should rightly affect how we do corporate worship and how we do our our individual lives as we follow Jesus Christ seeking to become a ready bride for the return of Jesus. 
And so when we think about the subject of prophecy, in light of the fact that we have the entire Bible to speak to that subject, we need to pay attention to what the Bible says about prophecy in order to respond correctly to what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians who did not have the entire Bible, specifically about prophecy. So you think about the the New Testament gift of prophecy. The Bible does not give us a detailed or exhaustive description about what the gift of prophecy in the New Testament really looked like completely. We have some descriptions of some things that happened in the New Testament with the gift of prophecy, but there is no place you can turn in the New Testament and get a detailed description of this is what it's going to be like at Southside Baptist Church in 2014. You're not going to get that. But what we do have in Scripture is certainly sufficient for us obeying what God has commanded here in 1 Thessalonians. And I want, you, I want to remind you that when it comes to Scripture, what God has given us in the Bible is a revelation of what He wanted us to know about Him. What He wanted us to know about what He does and how He does it. And there is no other way for us to judge who God is and what God does in the local church and in the world outside of the certainty of Scripture. So if we want to know what New Testament prophecy is or anything else related to God and what He does, the only certain place we can look is within this, the pages of this book. If God has not revealed it here, God did not want us to know it yet. He may want us to know in eternity, but what is sufficient for us is right here in this book. And so we have to defer and be rightly affected by what's written here as we follow the Lord, particularly in this text in regard to New Testament prophecies. So, let me give you three scripture references that categorize the first description of the gift of New Testament prophecy. All right, the first one is in Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 32. Acts chapter 15, verse 32. And in that passage, I'm just going to give you a couple of references here. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29 through 38. So if you're taking notes, just write these down. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 38. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25. That's the one I'm going to focus in on. Now, the one in Acts is about two guys who were noted prophets in the church. They stood up and gave an encouraging message that was very long. I hope that doesn't sound too much like me, but uh, moving right along to the next reference. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 29 through 38, gives direction on how the gift of prophecy is to be used in the New Testament setting specifically in Corinth. And there's some principles there that you can perceive if you read that passage. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24 and 25. That's one I want to camp out on because the other two certainly speak to the, to the message here that I want to give you in terms of what is the gift of prophecy in, in its description in the New Testament. So the one in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24 and 25 is a description of the church prophesying. Everybody in the church prophesying, so they're speaking some message from the Holy Spirit out loud verbally so that it is heard by the people in the church. So somebody is standing up and giving a message from the Lord. And the, and the, hi, the, hi, the uh, it's kind of a made-up scenario here. 
It's hypothetical. Paul's throwing out this hypothetical. He doesn't expect this to happen, nor does he want it to happen, because not everybody will have the gift of prophecy in the church. He makes that very clear in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Some people have the gift of prophecy. Some people have the gift of wisdom. Some people have the gift of healing. Some people have the gift of faith. You're not all going to have the same gift, uh, but we're all going to have gifts from the Spirit. But he creates this, this, uh, this scenario where everybody has the gift of prophecy. An unbeliever comes into that setting, and an unbeliever is going to hear someone say something that is going to unveil his heart. He's going to hear it and think, how in the world... Could that person know, possibly know what's happening inside of my heart today and yet what they just said is the very thing that I have going on and as a result of that, the unbeliever who would previously say there is no God is going to say there has to be a God because there's no way that person could say that thing right there that is so specific to my life and then the unbeliever falls on his face before the Lord and says I'm going to worship God and God alone because there truly is a God. So the first description of New Testament prophecy is the ability given by the Spirit of God to speak a message to a group or to an individual that is a message of God's truth that so specifically addresses your life that you know that God has spoken it and you recognize there is a God because he just read the secret of my heart and he just said exactly what I needed to hear and that person has no way of knowing I needed to hear that. God spoke to me. I'm sure that you've been here on certain Sundays if you've been here long enough because I've heard you say things like this. To me, you've come up and said things like, I, I don't know if you, you know, plan to say that or if that's something you thought of in the moment, but I just want you to know that what you said, such and such, that spoke to me so much so that God has totally changed my life today because of what you said. And what you're saying to me is, there's no way you could have known I needed that so much, but God knew it. He said it through you, and I just want you to know that God did it. And we both just celebrate what God has done, and we're excited. That's prophetic, right? When those things happen, that's one category where God is enabling an individual by His Spirit to speak in regard to His truth in such a specific way to your life that when you hear it, you know God has just spoken to you, all right? And the other category is in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 21. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in detail later. But in that passage, there is a certain aspect of Paul's life, 21 verse 11. 1 Corinthians, I mean Acts chapter 21 verse 11. Did we get that right? Acts chapter 21 Verse 11, I'm not even sure which end is up, which end is down. So if I say something and you're like, what has he just done? Just raise your hand, and I promise you I'll let you tell me what I need to do, all right? Acts 21, verse 11, talks about Paul um, reveal it, being, having something revealed to him that a prophecy, prophecy um, unveils that the person prophesying would not otherwise know. Right, and again, we'll, we'll detail that in a minute, but this is another category of describing prophecy where someone is given a spiritual ability to see something in your life 
oftentimes related to your future, could be related to your present or your past, but it's something that they would not know if God had not shown them. And they have a reason to say that to you. All right? Then the third category of description in the New Testament regarding prophecy is in Acts chapter 11, verse 28. And this is where an actual future event is revealed through prophecy to the church so that the church can be prepared for encountering that event and faithfully follow Christ through it. So the Spirit of God enables someone to give indication of a future event very specifically so that the church is then able to accommodate walking with Christ through that event. So those are your three primary descriptions of New Testament prophecy. And I think it's important to think through those categories as you think about what does this look like if we obey this passage. Okay, so let's think about some principles that Scripture puts forth regarding prophecy. Because here's the goal. The goal today is to move us all to the place where we are responding to the Spirit's leadership in our lives to encourage one another so that we better together wait on the return of Christ. That's the goal. That's where we're headed today. And principle number one is the purpose of prophecy is to encourage, to edify, and to console both believers and unbelievers. I'm going to tell you the specifics on both of those. And so for believers, the purpose of prophecy is not to guide us in regard to God's will for our lives. God does that through his word and by his spirit personally in each of our hearts. But prophecy can come alongside God's guidance through his word and through his spirit and give us encouragement, edification, and consolation as we follow Christ. And so among believers, that's the purpose of prophecy. If you, if you distort the purpose of prophecy, you will begin to crave experiences where someone tells you what God's telling them about you. And that is not at all a biblical perspective. God wants to guide each one of us through his word and by his spirit, and he wants to encourage us all, by all of us being led by the spirit, to speak to each other in such a way that we are really, really excited because of our fellowship and community, our faithfulness to Christ, to follow him all the days of our life. So encouragement. For an unbeliever, an unbeliever comes in, like 1 Corinthians chapter 14, hears people prophesying. The prophecy then would cause them to come to Christ. So it's definitely connected to the gospel. Whatever way prophecy works out itself with an unbeliever, the ultimate outcome is that they would come to Christ, and so certainly that is connected with the power of the prophetic power of the gospel to bring somebody to Jesus Christ. Okay, so the purpose of prophecy is principle number one. The, the next principle is based on the fact that 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 tells us we are to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Do you see the difference in priority? The scripture is saying loving each other is not an option. you got to pursue that. But the whole gift thing, that's a different variable. And you're going to see through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, you're going to see that not everybody has every gift. Some people are going to have this gift, some people are going to have that gift. But the scripture does say 
uh, desire the gift to prophesy because it is incredibly encouraging to the body. So what is the reason for elevating the gift of prophecy over all other spiritual gifts? Because of the outcome, to encourage people to follow Christ. So if we're not going to despise the prophecies or stifle or quench the Spirit, then we want to make sure we are responding to the Spirit's leadership in our own lives so that we might best encourage each other to follow Jesus Christ. You may be able to say at some point, I'm going to label what I just did as prophetic, or you may say, I have no idea if what I did was prophetic or not. And I just want to tell you that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of freedom there not to have to worry about that. The goal is to respond to the Spirit of God in His leadership in your life towards the body of Christ so that you are an encourager in the faith for everybody around you. So maybe one day you're sitting at home and somebody comes to mind. You haven't thought about them in days. Well, don't sit there and think to yourself, I wonder why I'm thinking about them. That's weird. And then go to the next thought. No, instead, sit there and think, I think that right now what just happened is my mind has been prompted uh, to think about a person, and so I'm going to pray for them. Because it might be that God wants me to pray for them. And you begin to pray for them, and maybe in your time of prayer you think, I really want to call them and encourage them. And so you just call them. Let me say, I just wanted to call you. You came to mind, and I want to encourage you in the Lord. And it may be that something very specific is on your heart to encourage them about, but you have no way of knowing whether or not that really is what they need to hear, but you just think that's what you need to say. And so you call them, and you say, I don't know if this is what you need to hear, but I really think this is what I need to say, and I just want to tell you I want to encourage you in this area of your life, um, your personal purity. I know it feels a little awkward. I'm calling you about this out of the blue. I haven't talked to you in months, but just it's on my heart. And I just wanted to call and tell you that. I want to encourage you. I've been praying for you. Love you in the Lord. Click. Hang up. You have no idea how significant responding to the leadership of the Lord in your life can be to the, to the spiritual life of someone else. And, and, and here's the goal, that we all get to the place where we were saying, well, we understand that your spirit is in us and that your spirit wants to sanctify us and your spirit wants to lead us, lead us to encourage each other. And we want your spirit to do whatever you want to do with whatever gifts you want to give us to help us wait better for Jesus Christ. Some of us are going to have the gift of prophecy and some of us won't. But every single one of us Every single one of us have the Spirit of God. Think about how incredibly critical that is to recognize. If you look back at Numbers chapter 11, there's a story there about when Moses brought all these 70 elders on board with him to help him lead the Israelites. Everybody starts prophesying and and speaking the Word of God and they're kind of amazed at what's happened because of what only Moses was doing for a time. Now these other 70 are doing. And then a couple guys kept doing it after it all ended. And this guy comes up to Moses and Joshua and says, these are these guys still in the camp. They're prophesying. These two guys. And Joshua says to Moses, you need to go shut them down, Moses. And Moses says, don't be jealous for my position. What I really want is for everybody in Israel to be a prophet. And I'd love for God's spirit to be on every single person in Israel. Well, Moses was prophesying about God's plan for the future. See, God's plan was not that every person would be a prophet, 
because he disperses the gift in the, in the body so that we are together fulfilling each individual part to build each other up in unity. But what God did intend for everybody to experience is the outpouring of his spirit so that we might be led by the spirit so that we might all be encouraged to follow Christ because we're together in the spirit. And so I want to encourage you, do not despise the Lord's leadership in your life to act spiritually towards one another. Now, I will, I will caution you. When the Lord lays something on your heart, you really sense the Lord is doing something, recognize that you will help people be able to do the rest of these commands, to test everything, to hold on to what is good and to abstain from what is not good or what is evil prophetically, if you will not come at them with, with statements like, God told me this for you. And, and I'm not saying that God does not lay things on, it, on your heart through his spirit. That's what I'm affirming. But what I am kind of giving you caution to do is don't create a scenario where you give yourself authority by using God's name when maybe God has not said what God you think God has said. It's not, it's not up to the one delivering the message to test the message. It's the one that's receiving the message that together with the church is to test the message. And so be cautious at how you come with the message. And instead of maybe always saying something like God told me, instead maybe you should just say what is on your heart to say. And if God is the one who is responsible for that, he's going to take care of getting the credit. And you don't have to get in the way. You don't have to try to have authority by saying that God gave you this whatever. Now, I'm not saying that you should not affirm when the Spirit of the Lord is leading you. Just don't use it abusively to gain credibility for yourself. Let God take care of it. And you be obedient to the promptings in your heart to spiritually serve one another by the Holy Spirit. All right? So, principle number two is... And that's what we've been talking about this whole time. So let me kind of wrap this up in a simple statement. The gift of prophecy is secondary. Okay? It's not primary in our church or in the Scripture. What is primary is to love with a love that's prompted by repentance. That is the work of the Spirit that every one of us will experience in increasing measure for the rest of our lives. Some of us will experience the gift of prophecy, some another gift, and it's going to be to the edification of the church as we experience those things. But the one thing we will all experience and we must pursue is love prompted by repentance that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that is primary. Prophecy is secondary. The third principle that I want you to catch this morning is the authority of God's word is unparalleled. All right? Any prophetic utterance, any word of prophecy, anything that comes from the Spirit's leadership towards someone else in your life is not on par with Scripture. We're not writing the things down that people say to us that are from the Lord and then taping them in the back of our Bible at the end of Revelation and saying this is the continuance of God's word. There is nothing on par with the authority of Scripture. Everything comes under the authority of Scripture. All prophecy in the New Testament, the gift of prophecy, is meant to be seen through the lens of Scripture. And nothing is to determine how we are to walk before the Lord outside of the certainty of Scripture. 
Everything prophetic is not on that same level. It's encouraging us to give credence to the authority of God's word, not to give some pseudo-authority to someone else as a spokesperson for God like Paul was. All right? So the authority of God is unparalleled. God speaks through his word. Anything from the spirit among us is meant to encourage us to follow what God has certainly said. So we need to test the prophecies because they're not the same as Scripture, because they're not on par of that, because they don't have the same infallible nature. We are to test them, and we are to hold to what God has encouraged us with, what God has instructed us with, and we are to abstain and get away from the things that God has not said or encouraged us in um, our community of faith. And you think about what God has said to us. There's a great example in Scripture, Acts 21. I referenced it earlier, where Agabus, the prophet, comes to Paul, takes Paul's belt, and then ties his arms and hands, Agabus' own arms and hands together, and says, the man who owns this belt, this is what's going to happen to him when he goes to Jerusalem. Well, Paul's companions and the local believers there at the church hear this prophecy about Paul that the prophet did not previously know, and they respond by saying, if this is what God has revealed, then you shouldn't go. You don't need to go to Jerusalem. And they just are encouraging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. You know what Paul says to him? He says, I don't know why you're crying for me because I've already heard from the Lord, I'm going to Jerusalem. Bottom line, I'm going. No, you shouldn't go. I mean, think about what's going to happen. God showed you so you could avoid this. No, he showed me that I'm going. And then you know what they said at the end of that? The Lord's will be done. Here's what happens in that story. A prophecy is given about Paul's life. The church hears that and they think this is what God wants to do with it. They begin to tell Paul that. Paul says, no, God's already talked to me. He's already spoken to me. He does not guide through prophecies of someone else. He's already guided me. Now I want you to know what this is about. That prophecy is to confirm what God has already said. He's just encouraging me. This is incredible. You're not going to stop me. I just got more encouraged than ever before, and you will not stop me. And they realize what it was really about. You see, he tested it. And he confirmed what it's supposed to do in his life. And he held on to the confirmation there. And he rejected everybody else's appeal to stay. And he followed Christ. And that's what you need to think about in terms of prophecy. When something like that happens in your life, you want to make sure you don't despise it. You don't throw it out, but you test it. And you say, what really is going on here? And what is it God wants to use this for in my life? What is he saying to me? Well, he's not said this to me, but then they said, this is from the Lord. But I've not heard anything like that. Well, I'm not going to pay attention to this prophecy, this so-called prophecy that has to do with God's guidance for my life, if God has not spoken to me about it. I'm going to be encouraged to seek the Lord. Because God's going to guide me through his word and by his spirit and prophecy will then just be an encouragement and a confirmation for me to follow Jesus Christ. So test it and hold to what is supposed to encourage you to follow what God has shown you in his word and by his spirit personally. And then you need to stay away from the things that aren't any good. Let me give you three things that you can use to stay away from things that are not good. Three ways to think about that. All right, first of all, stay away from anything or anyone 
that de-emphasizes the authorities of Scripture. Stay away from anything and anyone that de-emphasizes the authorities of Scripture. There are three authorities, uh, primary authorities in each of our lives that Scripture details. One is the Word of God. That's number one. Number two is the Spirit's presence in my life. Because the Spirit illuminates my heart to the Word of God. So the two authorities i got to pay attention to the most in my life is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Number three is the church. You dig through the Scripture and you will see again and again in the New Testament the emphasis on the importance of the authority of the church in our lives as we follow Jesus Christ together. If anyone de-emphasizes the importance of the Word of God, the presence of the Spirit in your own personal life or the role of the church in your life, do not pay attention to them or what they've said. Stay away. All right? Number two. Number two. Uh, stay away from anything that uh, stay away from anything that uh, here we go. It's coming to me, I know. Okay, that can't be tested. Stay away from anything that cannot be tested. So if something is said to you and it is not clear enough to test it. It's so vague and so general, there's no way you could test it. Well, then just ignore it. Everything that comes to you from the Lord should be able to be tested so that it becomes encouraging to you. If it cannot be tested, ignore it. Stay away from it. Make sure it can be tested. All right, then the third thing is, uh, uh, man. Let's look here. I got this written down. Oh, yeah. Make sure that when you are listening to someone who says they want to encourage you in the Lord, that if what they say to you is really, really good news, that you hold that in question. Stay away from things that are all about good news. You listen to some of the stuff on TV, you know what I'm talking about. You're going to hear it some in your own life. Just remember that the work of the Spirit The greatest work of the Spirit is repentance. And if the greatest work of the Spirit is repentance, and you can see this throughout all of Scripture when you look at prophecy, you can see this evidenced, all right? When it comes to repentance, many times the messages we need most are really not very fun, right? It's either something that we're we're not ready to hear And then because we're not ready to hear it, God brings a conduit for hearing it. And it's like, oh, wow, that is really what I needed to hear, but not what I wanted to hear, man. And it's just like the Lord just sinks it into your life. And it came through a way that God needed to speak to you. And then there are things that just we are refusing to hear. We know we are disobedient and we're not doing anything about it. And there are times when God will speak to us in regard to those things particularly in regard to repentance. Someone claims to say something to you from the Lord and it is always good stuff and nothing but good stuff and how wonderful your life is going to be and everything God's going to do for you and how amazing it's going to be if you just follow Him and how all the troubles are going to be gone and how all your sickness is going to be healed and everything's wonderful. They never say one thing about sin and repentance and how sin's going to destroy you, kill you, and you're killing everybody around you because of your sin in your life. If you never anything that calls you to repentance, do not take that as from the heart of God. Because God's good news always involves a message of judgment. 
always. And so you make sure you stay away from everything that sounds too good and doesn't lead you to repent. All right, what's the goal? The goal is for us to be ready for Christ to return. And what I really long for in our church is that we would all be willing to trust that God's will for us is our sanctification. And one of the ways he wants us to experience being ready for Christ is at times for somebody else to come up to us and say, I've been praying for you. And I want to encourage you. And I want to share this with you. And I hope it ministers to your life. Because you've been on my heart. Maybe you meet somebody here at church one day and the Lord just says to you, in your heart, He just says, this person comes from a broken home and they don't trust authority in their life. You're like, that's a weird thought. Maybe I'm supposed to do something with that. Hey, I, I'm just wondering what your, your home life was like. I know this is a weird question. Did you come from a broken home? I just want you to know that this is a place you can trust the Lord. Because our leaders here really want to follow the Lord, and I'm glad you came today. Can you imagine what that would do in their hearts? Right there, they're thinking, how weird is this? But there's no way they could have known except God. You see, what I really long for is that we follow the parameters of Scripture in such a way that the Spirit of God is able to do everything in us to make us ready for Christ's return. I mean, think about all that we've been told the Spirit of God is planning to do in us just just in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. Listen to this. It's crazy. Abstain from sexual immorality. Love the church. Behave towards outsiders so the gospel is seen easily. Grieve with hope. Comfort each other in grief with hopeful promises. Be alert and sober so you're ready for Christ's return. Encourage each other. Build each other up so you wait on Jesus Christ well. Acknowledge your pastors and love them beyond measure. Admonish the unruly. Encourage the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one repays evil with evil, but pursue good for everyone in the church and everyone outside the church. Rejoice always, pray continually, be thankful in all things, and make sure you practice prophecy so the church is encouraged to follow Jesus Christ. Now that is a significant list of the Spirit's work in our life and can really feel overwhelming. I mean, I think we could take one of those on that list and spend about six months working on it and still find room to keep working on it, right? It's a little overwhelming. How are we supposed to be this ready bride in light of all of that? I love how God inspired the ending of 1 Thessalonians. May the God of peace, all of these commands are not supposed to put us at unrest, anxiety. I'm not doing it. I'm not good enough. I'm not following you enough. He's not supposed to create anxiety. He's supposed to bring conviction and belief that God's grace will be effective. He's supposed to bring peace in your life because when you see these commands, you know what God's plan is for us. When you see God's plan for us, it's like, wow, this is what he wants for us. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and completely keep your spirit, your soul, your body blameless 
the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. Faithful is the one who called you, and he will do it. You remember when he called you? Do you remember that moment, that day, that time in your life when God called you? You didn't love him before that day. You didn't care about him before that day. You didn't give him the time of day of thinking about the plans of your life before that day. Your heart was in rebellion against him before that day. You were headed to hell before that day. You had nothing Nothing in your heart that cared about God before that day. And on that day when you'd made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, you know what you realized? That before you fell in love with him on that day, he loved you. Before you cared about his plans for you, he already had a plan worked out for you from eternity past. Before you cared a bit about the Lord and his love and his compassion and the work of his spirit, he already had a plan to meet you and to save you and to bring you home to be with him. And what he began, He will finish because from start to finish, it's about his will and his grace. So when you look at what God's called us to be and what God's called us to do, you give everybody your effort to that for the rest of your life. And when we get home to be with Jesus, we will all look back and say glory to God because his grace worked out in me what he started and he sanctified me and he's responsible for doing it. Praise the Lord. We get to do that together. I mean, the only thing better than getting to do all this together until Jesus returns is when Jesus returns. What an incredible opportunity. So let's be faithful. And let's do everything we can under the spiritual leadership to be a ready bride for Jesus. Amen.